yeah, it's a the sport's just grown exponentially, and it's um, yeah, it's a really exciting time to be a part of it. Yeah, I know. I know you said you're taking a bit of downtime. You're ramping up your training. You've come in from a four-hour bike ride this morning. It's a hot morning in Sydney, and I know you haven't right. had a shower yet. Right. Only because you told me. <laughs> I put deodorant on. Uh, but uh, yeah, Rube, you said we'd start at 11, so I didn't want to let you down, even though I was waiting for 15 minutes. But uh, that's okay. Um, yeah, look, yeah, four-hour ride this morning, and as mentioned, it is in Sydney, so. It's uh, it, certainly riding in Sydney has its challenges. I know mates of mine who come down um, from the Sunshine Coast and various other places, they can't believe what we sort of ride in Sydney just with the amount of cars and vehicles, but really fortunate with the group that I ride. It's extremely safe with PB3. Um, we sort of really look after each other and um, it does have its challenges, but you know, it keeps you on the edge. And uh, I guess I'd like to publicly thank all the traffic for not running me over this morning. Is uh, yeah, having a safe, really safe, good ride this morning. So yeah, it's good. yeah, it's easy. You shouldn't laugh about that, is it? Should we? Because it's uh, easy to take it for granted when you have a safe run these days on on the bike and on the roads and everything. And uh, so uh, you're glad you got here safely, Tilly. Yeah, def um, yeah. Look, it, it, yeah, as I said, it's, it's a safe ride, but it's only only because um, you know we we run a really safe group and. Just on that, you know, just uh, just yesterday, the one of the well-known accidents that happened last year when some of um, the East cycling members were hit by a vehicle. Um, that driver's actually been awarded um, 18 months of jail um, mm. for hitting those cyclists. So yeah, the cycling safety is a is paramount. And um, but I hopefully the Sydney traffic are becoming more and more aware of how they need to drive around cyclists um, and you can only, on, on the day you can really just look after yourself, you know, you can't control what's happening around you. Yeah, I remember that incident because uh, that actual group, uh, I was meant to have been riding with that group that day and it was a week before Melbourne Ironman two years ago, or two Ironman two years ago now, but um, you know, you just, you know, I was, uh, I was happy to see some justice prevail at the end, you mm. know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, whatever the, the exactly happened, uh, that's all been handled by the courts. But, you know, I was a little bit worried that um, the, the guy may get let off, but uh, I'm glad he's got uh, time to think about what he did wrong. And maybe others can think twice now, you know, road safety, and there will be consequences paid for, not just in the potential deaths and serious injuries of people, but also the consequences of how you will have to pay if you're um, guilty. Yeah, it sounded like it wasn't a malice thing, but he, um, you know, he just wasn't looking where he was going, and it's just hopefully just sent. And I'm, I'm, so, I feel sorry for the guy. Be, you know, he'll be in jail for 18 months, but that accident could have been much, much worse. And um, hopefully, it does send out a message to other drivers just needing to actually watch the road and look after the, uh, you know, thousand kilo vehicle that they're that they're yeah. actually driving around. Exactly. Well, you're listening to What a Ride with Aaron S. Lee and Rupert Guinness. I'm Rupert Guinness, and with me as a special guest is not Aaron S. Lee, you might have guessed. It is Matilda Reynolds. Now, Tilly, I reckon it's probably about time to check in with Aaron. It's getting late over there in Florida. He could be anywhere at the moment, so I think we better get him before uh, the witching hour. Calls. Yeah, sounds good to see how many drinks he's down. <laughs> okay, let's try, mate. Well, on the line, direct from Pensacola, Florida, United States of America, is Aaron S. Lee, I believe. Aaron, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, it's, it, look, just to let you know, it's a really hot uh, uh, spring morning here in Sydney, even though it's not spring yet, but it's really hot. Tilly's just come back from a four-hour ride. She hasn't had a shower, but uh, she's used underarm deodorant, she assures me. <laughs> well, I, 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 I appreciate that you just let the world know 
that's the only thing that's going to be taken from this interview is, oh, some chick that didn't have a shower. <laughs> Look, I know Tilly likes to throw a I know Tilly likes to throw a hang. Uh, I was going to say... <laughs> hey, uh, Aaron, I know you're um, just uh, you're at a nice little restaurant at the moment. We're going to call in later with you, but just tell us a bit about just what are we going to expect to hear from you also this week? I understand you've you caught up with the uh, organisers of the Pensacola Cycling Challenge. Yeah, that sounds interesting, mate. Yeah, because he's still creating big headlines here, and I understand he is in the United States as well. Okay, okay. Well, look, that sounds really exciting, mate. Well, we'll, we'll call back with you in a little bit later in the show. I know you've got a couple of things to do right now, but um, uh, we'll, we'll speak to you later. Really excited to hear what you've got to say about all that. Well, you get out there and cheer them on, mate. Do your very best. I know you've got a good voice for that. Oh, fantastic. Well, I can't wait to talk to you guys again and share my uh, interview with uh, David Mayo from the Pensacola Cycling Classic. Okay, you hang tight, Aaron. We'll speak to you soon. Watching the sun bake All of those tourists Covered with oil Strumming my six string On my front porch swing Smell of shrimp there Don't know the reason 
Nothing to show but this brand new tattoo But it's a real beauty A Mexican cutie How it got here I haven't a clue who just dropped his book on the floor, if you heard that. But with me today is Matilda Reynolds, professional triathlete, as my special guest for this week's episode. Uh, Tilly, we heard from Aaron just then. He sounded like uh, he sounded from a fair distance away. Obviously, he was. Uh, um, tell us a bit about I mean, you've known Aaron for quite a while now, haven't you? Yeah, I've known Aaron for a while, but um, to be honest, I can't really understand his accent that well, so I never really know what, <laughs> don't know what he's like. <laughs> but yeah, he's great. It's... Uh, it's really important, particularly um, for multi-sport and triathlon, to have these really passionate journalists and um, obviously to yourself, Roop, um, to be promoting the sport because, uh, yeah, the sport would be nowhere without um, the journalists and the media that we are able to that get behind it. Um, and we're really fortunate in triathlon, actually, to have really strong um, media sites that just doesn't get probably enough coverage. We're obviously fighting with ball sports and um, other major sports um, here in the country that get a lot more attention, but certainly very fortunate to have quality media that we're, we're, you know, 
when there is something to write about, they do. Yeah, because it must be, in, in your capacity as a professional triathlete, you, you've, uh, to get sponsors is going to be hard, isn't it? And you have to get traction for those sponsors to, to help you get around. I mean, um, and I guess you do need the media to, to uh, take you know, the uptake on that. And uh, guys like Aaron Lee, um, there's other sites like firstoffthebike.com, We've got Triathlete Magazine uh, and, and other, you know, plethora of publications. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's only so much money out there, isn't there? Yeah, I think, yeah, and certainly websites like witsop.com as well um, does a great job, particularly in promoting women in the sport. Um, and just really, they, I think what the sport needs, what's really important is to have um, really big heroes in the sport, you know, that people can really relate to and... And these sort of media outlets, they do a good job in um, telling their story and it's really important to create some sort of story behind these heroes, I guess, that we need um, and idols in the sport. Um, you know, in football or even in cycling, you know, there's the, the top people that everyone knows and they know their story and they can connect to it. And it's those sort of enthusiastic fans that, um, you know, they stay with the sport, they promote it, they want to be a part of it and it's really important to have that in triathlon as well. So... Yeah, um, certainly Wits Up and First Off The Bike and, you know, Slow Twitch, etc. they do a great job in, in, in trying to promote those individuals and, and I guess as a, as a great news feed as well for what's happening, what the races are coming up and how people have gone in those races post-race. Post I've got to ask you, Tilly, with in, you know, in, in recent weeks in particular, you know, we've seen um, in Australia, we've seen uh, Australia's female athletes and teams perform really, really well. I mean... Uh, I know and it's got a lot of attention now um, in the mainstream press. Uh, it could be well argued that that's long overdue, but at least it's getting there now. I mean, there's advancements there. When you've seen, we've seen the, uh, the Diamonds last week win the Netball World Cup final. We've seen the Opals uh, go so well. We see athletes like Sally Fitzgibbons in, in, uh, in surfing. Um, uh, you know, the list just continues on. The, the women's cricket team as well. I mean, um, uh, how, how, I mean, how do you feel when you're seeing that advancement? And, and are they getting the right recognition finally? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. Like, I think in a few years' time, we'll, we'll, you know, in, the leaps and bounds still need to happen in female sport. I, I think the argument that, oh, female sport isn't as fast or as hard or as goes as long is just a... It's, it's got no substance, that argument. Mm -hmm. um, I think where the media comes into it is that the actual people that control the media, it's more their interests. So I think... If the media could pick it up and actually write the stories and, and have those stories, as I said before, you know, available for people to connect to and to, to read and engage with, um, you know, those sports would go substantially. And the women's sport, yeah, the you know, we've seen the cricket, the basketball, the netball, they had a women's AFL, um, which got more views than the men's yep, AFL. Yep. Um, Matilda's in, in the World Cup. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Hockeroos um, did really well as well. And so it's, it's, but people just aren't knowing that that's, that's going on at the moment. And so um, there's some great stories out there, I think. Um, and, and it is fast. Like, if anyone had seen that netball game last week, it was brutal. Like, they're doing bigger shoulder charges than the NRL at the moment. They're... Is full on, and it's and they're great athletes. You know, they're getting paid like two percent of what the men's are getting. And I would have loved to have seen the men's ashes. Um, you know, and and the rugby team as well. I'd love to have seen their salaries stripped for the month and be given to the women's because they're doing a lot better and certainly making a country a lot prouder than what they were doing. The men's were doing in the last month or so. It's kind of ironic that the 
the same time with all the success, you know, we saw the uh, the cricket men's cricket team lose the Ashes, you know, horribly. So we saw the Wallabies get smashed uh, in the Bledisloe Cup decider in Auckland. Um, I mean, I guess that sort of helps. Maybe that just sort of uh, uh, I don't know whether it puts the balance more in women's sport or not. I think at the end of the day, it shouldn't be one or the other. Just it should be just due recognition for um, you know, it's a bit obviously equality. Yeah, I think um, I, I just encourage everyone to like tune in, like read the articles, open the websites, um, you know, click on the um, women's article. Ella is also um, cycling tips are also doing some great articles at the moment on women's cycling and just sharing those stories. Like if the, if the content is not there, then people are not going to engage and they're not going to you're not going to build that fan base for mm -hmm. that particular sport. Um, so yeah, there's still huge leaps and bounds to go, but yeah, just get amongst it. Like the, um, I'm, I'm obviously extremely passionate about sport, but yeah, I think um, the women still, in terms of their equality in pay and um, just even in, in triathlon, needing the equality of start start lists at um, the world championships. At the moment, we still only are allowed 25 women, while the men are allowed 50. And I think the depth may have not have been there years ago, but it certainly is there now. Um, and you, you're seeing some big names miss out on the world championships. And then you're also seeing some big names have to push themselves to the absolute brink to make it. And that's not what the world champs are about. It's about everyone turning up to the start line, hope, you know, in their best, absolute best um, uh, quality of their fitness and all that sort of thing and and you're just not able to get that when there's only 25 women and 50 men allowed to start that race so there's a lot there's a long way to go both in equality of pay um, and opportunity um, and and just yeah certainly certainly with opportunity I yeah think. and I think from a media point of view maybe you know, working in mainstream media at the Sydney Morning Herald slash Fairfax uh, what's important is if the, the recent uh, say expanded coverage of women's sport what's normally there has to continue. It can't be just a flash in the pan just because it's a hot spell at the moment. You know, it's got to be continuous in the down times as well as much as the uh, the good successful times. Yeah, absolutely. And like the women's got a great coverage last week, but it needs to it need, that that momentum keep, needs to keep going and building. And um, yeah, it was a great one game last last week with the the Silver Ferns and the Aussie Diamonds. But all of that really needs that momentum, those stories, those profiles really needs to keep going both um, in uh, ball sports for women and, and triathlon yeah. cycling. Now, it's just speaking about breaking barriers and breaking through the door and being pioneers, etc. Uh, Are you talking about me yeah, doing yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a door here just ready. <laughs> no, uh, we're going to talk to a, uh, a person who did it in the early 80s, uh, Phil Anderson, who was the first Australian to ever wear the yellow jersey of the Tour de France. In, uh, in the early 80s, uh, at that time, he was there was very few English-speaking riders over there in Europe, and um, he really did break down barriers because he, by taking that first yellow jersey, uh, he was a curiosity. And then we've seen how cycling has developed from an English-speaking point of view since. Um, did you know much about Phil Anderson? Oh, just that he's a legend of the sport. Was it? but yeah, it was yeah. probably a bit, bit before my time. Um, I don't know if that was that was the era where they used to have a few cigarettes before they went up the hill to uh, open up the lungs. But um, oh, look, he's a legend of sport. I follow um, obviously the, the Grand Tours um, fairly closely, and um, he's a. 
great promoter of women's supporter of women's cycling as well. Um, and yeah, follow his commentary. And so yeah, absolutely. Well, I caught up with Phil this week just to have a chat to him uh, a little bit about the Tour de France. But uh, you know, that's come and gone. That's a month ago now. But we also had a good chat just about the racing scene and what's happening in Europe and how um, the Australians are going, not just in Orica Greenedge, but elsewhere. So let's have a listen, uh, Tilly, to see what uh, Phil has to say. Well, another special guest with us today on What A Ride is the first Australian to ever wear the yellow jersey of the Tour de France and a good friend of mine, Phil Anderson. Phil, welcome to What A Ride. It's been uh, several weeks now since the Tour de France has uh, been won and lost, depending on uh, whoever you're riding for and, and supporting. But uh, when you look back just briefly on the Tour, how do you feel about this year's race? Was it a good race or was it uh, an exciting race or, or did it fail to uh, live up to expectations? Oh, I think it was. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the most memorable uh, Tour de France of, of uh, you know the current generations of tours. Uh, I think you know there's plenty of drama, which you know the tour always sort of uh, flushes out. Uh, but because I think because of of uh, Sky's dominance in the uh, well the, the latter two thirds of the event, uh, kind of put a bit of a blanket over the. Excitement, uh, which we may have seen in, in other years, um, possibly even less excitement than two years ago when Froome won it for the first time, uh, just because he was a newbie then. And, and uh, but yeah, I mean, the Tour de France is, is a real celebration of cycling. It's not just about uh, winning and losing, but it's about everybody getting out there, uh, you know, somewhere in France. Mm, that's right. That's that's certainly one way of putting it. Uh, I think we've seen how the you know the crowds uh, the crowds of a tour you know are always really high. I, one thing I did notice though, I think um, you know I had a feeling that the crowds weren't as high as in, as in previous years. Did you get the same vibe? I know you're you're on different areas of the course than where I was. You were with your Phil Anderson tours, but did you sense that, or did you think it was uh, as strongly attended as previous years? Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think numbers might have been down uh, fractionally. I mean, I think we've seen sort of crowds grow over the years, and uh, you know, there's there's been some years which have been bigger than uh, than others. I think uh, two years ago when it was the centenary edition, uh, it was just huge. People made the effort of, of coming out um, from wherever they they are or from different corners of the earth. Uh, certainly a lot came over from Australia. Uh, numbers, I think, were down a little bit. Um, but I think that's just uh, just the year. I think, you know, next year we, we can see it, uh, you know, come up again, uh, build up, and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things fluctuating. But, you know, we're standing back at the distance. The, the Tour de France is just such a monster. Um, you just wonder how much bigger it could get. Mm, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think you, you mentioned about the, the dominance of Sky and um, and Chris Froome. I mean, uh, although uh, saying that, at the, on the very last day on Alpe d'Huez, we saw Chris Froome, um, you know, sort of with his back against the wall there, particularly when Nero Quintana threw everything out of the bucket to try and, uh, uh, you know, take the win from him. Do you, do you think there was a case of Quintana losing the tour at all? I mean, he did, he did lose time early on, but do you think he left his, his move too late? Yeah, I think uh, the Movistar team, it, uh, if they were aggressive right from the get-go, from uh, you know the, the, from that first stage in, in the Pyrenees, okay, that that shocked everybody in the peloton how how strong and dominant 
room was. And that's how he how he played his cards in uh, two years ago. And uh, he did exactly the same here. And he didn't only just beat them by finishing with Quintana, he just attacked uh, over the top of Quintana, who was having a particularly good year, a good day. And, um, you know, just crushed everybody. And I think it just sent waves through the peloton and took, took a few days for everybody to sort of... Um, you know, to gather themselves uh, to, to deal with uh, you know such dominance, and uh, by the time they got to the the, uh, the Alps, uh, it was too late to, to, to throw anything out there, and, and um, yeah, you know, we saw you know two days to go, they started attacking uh, Froome, and and um, you know started doing well, and and Quintana brought back some time. In fact, if it wasn't. You know, I think Froome was really on his knees going up the Alpes um, the penultimate day. Um, you know, with a few kilometres to go, it looked like it could have gone gone uh, Quintana's way. But, uh, but still, you know, if it wasn't for Richie, um, yeah, it might be uh, a Colombian who was winning winning the tour. Yeah, well, you you mentioned Richie Richie Port, the Australian member on on Sky. I guess he certainly uh, found the right time to hit some some very good form, and also their uh, new Dutch recruit Walter Poles, who uh, sort of did a lot of work before Richie came in there on that on that last day. But um, it, with a view to Richie, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I know he wasn't going into the tour with general general classification in in mind. He had his opportunity at the Giro, which didn't go very well, which has been well documented. But um, do, do you think he, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, do, do you think he got a lot out of the tour in the end by having those uh, one or two days at the end, which uh, where he came strong? Do you think he, he finished? He should have finished satisfied. Oh, look, I think uh, personally, he possibly didn't get that much out of it. Certainly, uh, his team did. Uh, like I said, if it wasn't for um, for Richie uh, coming good at the end of the tour, um, you know, Froome might have been on that top step. Um, you know, him and him, uh, uh, Richie and uh, and Chris are, are best of mates, and uh, it's going to be interesting now to see how they they play out in different teams and how that how their relationship is going to. Um, you know, impact upon you know the aggressive nature that's going to be required to to, to beat each other. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how that uh, plays out. But I think he, he you know he rode a great race. He was riding full through, and there was never any any question of that. And um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's um, yeah, it's interesting to see. Yeah, that's going to play out in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned how he's going to be uh, now leading a team, the BMC team, which uh, uh, which is, is now official that he will be riding for next year, even though it was probably the uh, worst-kept secret in, in cycling. But I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how also Richie uh, will now uh, handle the pressure of you know absolute expectation in him. Can you explain a bit about... for you, you've, you've experienced what it's like to be a, a leader of a big team and what sort of uh, step-up this will be for Richie uh, for next year. Well, look, Richie's proved that he's he's uh, capable of leading a team. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's won uh, lots of big races. Um, you know, events which have eluded uh, me, races like the Pyrenees and, 
And so, uh, you know, a number of times. And, uh, you know, so he's so he's got the, the leading characteristics. But, um, you know, whether he'll handle the pressure, uh, a couple of times we've seen when it's, um, you know, when the leadership has been given to him and he's, he's faltered. And, yeah, at the end of the day, there's always a reason why that's happened. Uh, you know, if it's a, a virus or... or um, you know some unexpected um, issues, but but still, uh, you've got to be able to fight adversity. Um, you know, if, if it's time taken off you, like it was in the in the uh, in the Giro this year, from a uh, mistake, uh, a moment of a lapse of of um, of uh, you know understanding of the, the rules of the event when he took that wheel. Um, uh, from the Orica uh, team, um, you know, you've got to be able to bounce back, and and uh, you know, the next day I think there's another incident when he punched at that moment, and and uh, you know, a couple of days later he was, a few days later he was uh, sort of on his way on his way home. Um, you know, he had to pick himself up in that time trial and and uh, kick on regardless. And yeah, it's a it's a, it's a strength of, of character, and um, which I think he's got. Um, you know, maybe if he's a clear leader of a team, um, you know, he'll he'll get that sort of that last five uh, percent that, that's necessary to to carry the the leadership in a in a um, you know at the top level. Now, Phil, we're at this part of the season where we're leading towards the uh, the World Championships, which this year will be in Richmond in the US. But before we get there, I mean, obviously there's a whole lot of races that have been going on every week, but one very big one is about to start, the uh, Vuelta España, the third of the three Grand Tours. In many ways, uh, with it being scheduled at the back end of the year now, not like in your year when it was early in the year, but it's uh, it's it's seen as a race now for, it can be a race for to blood young talent, uh, it can be a race as of salvation for people who've missed out on um, what's gone bad so far in the year. I guess Orica Greenedge are one team that will certainly be going to the Vuelta looking for uh, certainly more promising outcomes than what they had in the in the Tour de France where they lost uh, three riders very early, three crucial riders, Gerens, um, uh, Albacini and also um, uh, Daryl Impey. Um, but for the Vuelta, they're going there with some big ambitions. Uh, Caleb Ewan's going to get a first gig there first Grand Tour. Gerrans and uh, Hepburn, um, oh, MP should be back for uh, for that. And also, they're going to have Esteban Chavez, the Colombian rider, who, from within Oracle Green Edge, are one of the three guys they're trying to hone as future GC riders, general classification riders, with the Yates brothers, Simon and Adam. Um, are they taking on too much in the Vuelta, do you think, Phil? Or do you think this is a great opportunity to, to try anything and everything? Uh, well, they certainly had a, a, a bad run of of, uh, of luck at the at the tour, and you know somebody like Simon's really been uh, struggling with a uh, series of of uh, you know catastrophic uh, events mm. um, in the last uh, you know we started I guess in this last uh, winter or our summer uh, in Australia, and um, very unfortunate. So yeah, they've certainly got something to to prove. Um, you know, I think they certainly have uh, the opportunity to the opportunity to, to uh, you know to regain uh, regain some ground, uh, which they've lost. Um, yeah, in, in potential stage wins, um, you know, there's there's 
when you look at the opposition there, when you look at the strength of the Movistar team um, back there again with Quintana and and uh, uh, you know I think it's going to be a um, it's going to be tough to look at general classification. Um, even at the tail end of the season, but uh, certainly for stages, and it, it's uh, you know good to uh, to get experience in riding as a team uh, with the general classification in mind, even if it isn't uh, at the top step. Uh, you know to protect um, uh, you know to protect somebody and to ride like a you know like a GC team because I'm you know from what I understand that they're um, they're starting to put more effort into that and uh, you know it's something which isn't gained overnight. Um, well, they're, they're very good at positioning um, Matthews or you know um, Garens uh, in, in the last couple of kilometres or at a critical part of the, the event. Uh, that's a lot different than uh, you know in, in, in a stage race where you're trying to um, you know get somebody up there uh, you know arri- arriving at uh, fresh parts of the, the race, whether it be you know for a time trial in the second week or the base of the mountains in the third week, uh, trying to get those uh, protected riders there. So they've got to uh, hone their skills on that, and, and I think this, um, you know, that what they can get out of the Vuelta is, uh, yeah, getting the, the, the team prepared to be able to, to um, take on that role, mm-hmm. you know, because if they want to attract a, a top general classification rider, um, such as Richie, uh, you've got to have the team to be able to um, support those riders. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people forget that, don't they? They think just sign up the star rider and then the rest will happen, but you've got to have the, the system in place and the experience and, know, and the know-how, not just with the riders, but also the organisation to be able to to handle uh, everything that's expect- that, that, that that lead rider will need. Well, that's right. Just like you have uh, teams which are uh, well set up for um, having a, a sprint train, um, you know, it, it's the same for a uh, GC rider. You've got to have the teams to be able to, or the, the riders, uh, um, you know, they go through a routine to, to uh, position their riders, um, you know, for that, um, you know, for those particular points in the, in the event. Yeah. Yeah. Now, from the overall uh, for the uh, Volta, you know, you've got Chris Froome coming back. You've got Nero Quintana. Uh, Vincenzo Nibali is going to be there. And, and also Quintana's teammate who got on the podium, Alejandro Valverde. Um, it's going to be a pretty exciting outcome to see how those, how the cards fall by the end of three weeks to see if Froome can get the double. I understand only two people have ever got the double from of the Tour and the Vuelta in the same year, but that was when the Vuelta was earlier. Um, uh, who's your early tip? Put your reputation on the line here, Phil. Oh, jeez. Um, look, it could be an outsider. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's going to be too difficult for uh, Froome to step up. I mean, we, we, saw, we saw that... Um, uh, Contador tried to do that for for the, the the Tour de France, and he was just fried. And um, you know, while there has been uh, a bit of a break, uh, you know, Broom had to go deep, just like Contador did in the Giro. And uh, you know, I think by the third week, and and the Vuelta is a particularly uh, difficult race of some very steep climbs, and you know, it can be very um, very warm while we're freezing our butts off here in Australia. It's, it's still very uh, warm, especially in Spain at the tail end of summer. Um, you know, to be able to uh, put up with with um, you know three weeks of racing, I think uh, I, I feel that uh, Froome might be able to uh, repeat what he what he did in July. 
So, you know, Valverde, I guess, um, you know, I think Quintana would like to be able to pay him back for uh, the efforts because he's, he had to uh, sacrifice him, himself by quite a bit during the during the uh, tour. So I'd imagine we'd see um, Valverde up there at least for, for some stages and uh, I think we'll see him on the... Uh, you know, on the podium by the end of the events. Okay, Phil. And just very lastly, over on the other side of the world, over in one of your old haunts, Colorado, where the US Pro Cycling Challenge is, is up and running. The first stage was won. The first stage of Steamboat Springs was won by Taylor Finney who's, of BMC, who's come back from 14 months out where he had that horrible accident and, and broke his leg. Uh, it's been a long haul back for Taylor Finney, but he won it. He, he jumped away just near the, you know, into the sprint. He won it by several bike lengths. Um, his father... You obviously know he was old teammates, Davis. Uh, how was, you know, just a word about Taylor, you know, what that sort of comeback must have been like for him. It's a long time to come back, but to come back in winning form is a pretty remarkable effort. Yeah, no, we saw him in the Tour of Utah. He was, he was uh, you could see he was back on the path for, uh, you know, in his winning ways. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's clearly a, a talented rider, but, yeah, very difficult to come back after a, um, a period of time off, and like it's been what eighteen months or something since um, since he was racing. So to take that amount of time off, come back, and to win one of your first races back just shows that uh, you know what a talented rider he is. I mean, we see some riders like uh, Tom Boonard, for example. Um, you know, had had a um, uh, bad accident in in springtime. And to be able to come back and, and uh, you know, some of his first races, he's, he's winning also. Put, but to put Finney's name next to somebody like Tom Boone and shows you the class of riders that he is to be able to come back and, and uh, you know, with that fortitude, be able to come back and, um, you know, show such such um, such form uh, early on in his comeback. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Phil, look, that's all really, uh, really interesting, mate, and it just shows how this time of the year there's still so much to talk about in the world of cycling, and we'd love to have you back on the show on Water Ride sometime if you're okay. It's uh, always appreciate your insights, mate, and uh, thanks very much for being on the show. No problem at all, mate. I look forward to our next uh, ride together as well. <laughs> That's long overdue, but I've, I have started my comeback, but I'll, I'll give you the red light or the green light as to when I'm ready. Okay, no worries, Root. Take care, Phil. Traveling in a freighted combi On a hippie trailhead full of zombies I met a strange lady She made me nervous she took me in and gave me breakfast And she said Do you come from a land down under A women go and men wonder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder You better run, you better take cover Sandwich, and he said, I come from a land. 
What a ride with Aaron S. Lee and Rupert Guinness. I'm Rupert Guinness. Aaron S. Lee is not here, he's in the United States, but my special guest with me this week is Matilda Reynolds, professional triathlete. Now, um, Tilly, uh, we just had a good listen to see what Phil had to say. He's always got some great insights. Um, a little bit later in the show, we're going to come back to cycling and uh, talk to Andy Hood from Velo News, where we spoke in specific detail about uh, the Vuelta España that's starting this weekend and the Tour of Spain, which is the third of the three Grand Tours. We also speak to Andy Hood a, bit, a little bit about what's happening in the American racing scene where some of the Aussies have been going very well there in the US Pro Cycling Challenge. But just like to have a bit of change in pace. Um, we were talking before about women's sport in general, but uh, just in the world of triathlon, Tilly, we're, we're getting to this hot period of the year where there's uh, world championships coming up, ITU Worlds, uh, 70.3 Worlds, and then the big kahuna, the big Kona, the big Kona Ironman uh, over in Hawaii. Um, so Tilly, what's, 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 what's on your agenda, or what are you looking at now? I can see you looking in your iPad there at the calendar. <laughs> you, you plotting and scheming? No, I'm just trying to make sure I know what's actually coming up. Um, no, uh, yeah, um, my, my agenda at the moment is in, and focus is on the domestic season. Um, mm. Fortunately, which is really exciting, is that the 70.3 World Championships in 2016 are actu actually happening here in Australia, and they'll be hosted on the at Mooloolaba on the Sunshine Coast next year. So it'll be a super hot season in Australia. Um, I don't mean temperature, but yeah, with the amount of people who are trying to qualify for a hometown race. Um, so yeah, a lot of my ducks will be um, thrown into that basket. You're, 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 you're <laughs> so you're, you're hoping to get into that? Into we'll that see how we go, yeah. We'll yeah. Start, start that campaign um, at Port Macquarie in October mm -hmm. and um, and hopefully, yeah, build some momentum from there. But yeah, we've, I've got quite a quite a few training mates and um, friends who will be heading who are heading to um, Austria for the 70.3 world champs next yep. weekend um, so in terms of like the world agenda at the moment um, there, there are a few 70.3 and Ironmans happening um, this weekend I think you've got Ironman Japan um, Ironman Copenhagen and um, Budapest 70.3 and Indonesia 70.3 but to be honest you're either cherry picking or you haven't made the world champs if you're if you're racing those um, races this weekend, just with um, the, unless, you know, you're doing one uh, bit of a tune-up before um, the Ironman World Champs, but the 70.3, with the 70.3 World Champs being next weekend, um, that's certainly one of the biggest races on everyone's agenda, um, because you get a lot of the World Champs, um, Ironman World Champs competitors also mm. doing that race four weeks before. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, how, how do they, um, you know, with the 70.3s, are they mainly people who are doing Ironman distance races, or they, or there people who are doing ITU di Olympic distance who like to ramp up the, you know, to sort of, you know, maybe work on their strength or just see how they go on a on a longer distance. Yeah, it's a really good question. Like with 70.3, it used to you used to be able to do it if you know you could swing into it being an Ironman racer and then also being an ITU racer. It's really only the freaks like a um, JB. Um, Gomez, who you know, you have, we we saw last year, he won the Ironman World um, the 70.3 World Champs, and he is also um, one of the top IT, or the top ITU racer. Um, so that speed really helped him mm. in 70.3. But 70.3 now is so specific. You've got to, if you're on um, the men's and the women's, um, you are on the absolute rivet from the start to to the finish. Like it's it's no longer you know you're doing aerobic capacity sort of thing, yeah. you're just on the absolute river, you know, lactate coming out of your eyeballs, particularly for me in the swim, um, 
And so you can't really go from swing out of Ironman into 70.3 mm. so much, um, just because you've got to have that speed there as well. Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's becoming a really, you know, you need to be a specific 70.3 racer um, and then a specific Ironman racer and sort of use the two to tune each other up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we, yeah, this weekend we will see Stockholm um, ITU. Um, Gomez is racing that and I assume he'll be uh, defending his title the following weekend at 70.3 Worlds. So it'll be interesting to see wow. how he goes. Is, does that happen often where someone's gone from doing that one week to the next week? That you said oh, not, not so much one week to the next week, but certainly some of the best 70.3 races that... Um, races that are happening at the moment to people who have come from ITU. They have such a strong swim and, and that run. And then um, for some people, it's very successful, um, like Fernando. Um, but uh, for others, they just haven't been able to get that bike fitness there. And, you know, they struggle with injury as well. So sometimes jumping across uh, the distances doesn't always work out. We're talking on What a Ride with Aaron S. Lee and Rupert Guinness. I'm Rupert Guinness. Uh, but with me on, as our special guest this week is Matilda Reynolds, who's uh, just been talking about triathlon and what's happening on the landscape of, of the sport. And uh, Tilly, it seems like, you know, the, the sport's got a plethora of, uh, of uh, not just top-class events, but just sort of the type of races. I mean, it's almost looking, you know, when you see the sport of cricket, with it going from test cricket to one-day cricket to... 2020 cricket to everything. I mean, um, does, does the sport risk the danger of, of triathlon? Does it risk the danger of, uh, of uh, having too many types of races? Because also, like, you look at Ironman distance, you've got the Challenger series as well. I mean, yep. can you have too much? I think it's great to have the Challenge series in there. Otherwise, um, particularly as a competition for Ironman as, as the brand, um, a lot of people don't realise that actual Ironman is a, is a brand just like Nike or... McDonald's, so for all those people that put the Iron Man logo on them, <laughs> they've just got a brand on their leg. Yeah. Um, but I think it's at, it's almost at capacity, it feels like. Um, but they are still selling out, and whilst they're still s these races are still selling out, then they'll keep going. And they are trialling different things, so, um, you know, having races that are just for age groupers and then having other races. Um, Ironman next year will be trialling just races where there's female pros and then just races where there's male pros, which I actually, for females, I actually, I don't mind. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, but I love the fact that the females will get a really clean race, that it'll be all about them as mm -hmm. well, pre and post. Um, and, yeah, just mainly that a female will cross the line first and that they'll just have a really clean race and not be caught up with yeah. Um, sh shitful male pros and yep. and age group is coming behind them hopefully um, and then also Challenger trying to mix it up they've got a night race um, happening I think later this year so yeah it's it's good to try and mix it up and um, the sport's constantly developing but yeah I think at, at, it'll 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 hit a ceiling where where things will need to just co um, can mm. consolidate a little bit yeah 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 well look uh, Tilly we'll just take a little bit of a break uh, maybe listen to one fine little tunes from our selections here we'll is, uh, is it better like past the 90s or will i know it or no look we'll <laughs> keep you we'll keep you guessing tilly <laughs> what a ride we'll just go and chill just for a couple of minutes we'll be back with you shortly Friends. 
you a ride. We, we have a good time. Um, listen to, we were talking earlier a little bit about the, uh, in cycling, about the Vuelta España, the Tour of Spain, which is the third of the three Grand Tours. Um, I've, I've followed the Giro d'Italia, the Tour of Italy, the Tour de France many, many times. Uh, the Tour of Spain I've done about five times and I've uh, uh, got to say one of the interesting aspects of it is you, I mean, you really do bring in that, obviously that Spanish culture because of the Spanish Tour, but it is a race with a difference. Um, it has its own character, and that's what I really like about these Grand Tours. Um, Tilly, have you have you been out on any of those Grand Tours? No, it's definitely it's definitely on my bucket list. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'd love to. Um, yeah, I'd love to ride some of the uh, of the Tour de France. I was in Italy last year, um, but and yeah, look, it's just stunning over there. So I'd love to be a part of it yeah. for one year. Yeah. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, if you go to the Tour of Spain, there's a lot of late nights. I can tell you firsthand because they have a sp that's the way they do things in Spain. The Tour de France, I have late nights, but that's cause of mainly because of all the work. But uh, the Tour of Spain is a good, fun race, but it's certainly becoming a race that's uh, becoming much more popular amongst English-speaking uh, uh, people now because because of the plethora, I say the plethora, that's the third time I've used it, uh, that word, but because there's so many um, uh, contenders now, it seems to be a, a race where... It's either a race of revelation for young riders who, who are coming through to be tested in a Grand Tour landscape, or two, it's a race for people to try and salvage what they've missed out on, on earlier in the year at the Giro or the Tour. Yeah. Well, yeah, you saw that, hopefully, with TJ Van Garda, mm. that he'll probably try and 
you know, use that tour as a try and um, get some points and, and make something of the year, I guess, for BMC. Um, but yeah, it, it, it makes me feel quite ill to think some of those Tour de France riders like your Froome, etc., are, mm. are backing up. I would just be taking another six months off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, like you've got Chris Froome, we've got uh, Vincenzo Nibali, Fabio Aru, who uh, was in the Giro d'Italia. Um, we've got uh, Alejandro Valverde. Uh, Nero Quintana, yeah, who came yeah. second in the tour. Valverde came third in the tour. You mentioned Van Garderen as well. I mean, uh, it's it's a crack-hot field. But I always believe that soon enough something happens to two or three of those guys. You end up with two or three or two contenders by the end. Yeah, certainly the motivation won't be there so much for, for Froome, I don't imagine. He, he, all the pressure's off him. Mm. You know, he's done his... He's ticked the box for the year, but yeah, we'll see if they can if they can hold it up. Well, as Phil Anderson mentioned earlier, you know we've got Australians there or an Australian team in Orica Greenwich and uh, young Caleb Ewan, who's going to be making his Grand Tour debut in the sprints. Uh, he won't do the whole uh, uh, Vuelta. I said, yeah, we won't do the whole Vuelta, but it's just going to be for experience. But they also uh, Simon Gerrans will be back from his injuries, uh, you know, which he's had a massive number of stacks this year. Um, but an interesting. Uh, face to look for is that of their Colombian rider Esteban Chavez who did two weeks of uh, you know uh, he was trying to go for the general classification for about two weeks of last year's Vuelta um, or ten days I'd say and this year he's going to try and see how far he can go and to stay as high as he can. He's one of their three riders who Oracle Green Edge see as a, a rider for the future to be a Grand Tour contender. The others being the Yates twin Simon and Adam Yates who, are, uh, who did the tour but won't be at the Vuelta. Um, we caught up uh, earlier this week with Andy Hood, who uh, is the European correspondent for Velo News. He's covering the Vuelta this year. He does it every year. Um, he had some very interesting insights to, to shed about the race and who can do what or not. And, uh, and a few, uh, we also had a bit of a sidebar chat about the US Pro Challenge. So, Tilly, let's have a listen to Andy Hood. Sounds good. Well, welcome back to What A Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness, and with me now is a, a man, a journalist, who I've known for a long time, uh, a long-time uh, travelling partner, but more importantly, he's an esteemed cycling journalist, Andy Hood from Velo News in the United States. But Andy Hood's not talking to us from the United States. He is talking to us from Spain, where he lives, and he's about to go over to the Vuelta a España, which starts on the weekend on Saturday. Andy, welcome back to the show, mate, and uh, just tell us, uh, I guess between the, the Tour de France and, and now, there's been a lot of racing happening, but I mean, um, what have you been up to, and, and, and what's the vibe of what's happening over there in Europe? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, well, thanks for having me again, Rupert, and thanks for that warm introduction. I mean, uh, you and I have gone back over the years, I mean, how many how many Grand Tours have we done together and how many uh, uh, crafts of rosé we've done? Like, I've lost track. Oh, <laughs> mate, it's like, uh, you know, the, the, the tours through rosé-tinted glasses, isn't it, Andy? That's right, that's right. Yeah, uh, after the tour, it's been, uh, you know, kind of this lull. It seems like a lull, but really, uh, August is one of the busiest racing months of the year, isn't it? I mean, there's just all these stage races everywhere. Uh, you know, Tour of Poland, there's racing back in the States. There's racing uh, in Asia. Uh, really, there's no, you know, the Peloton just keeps on trucking. I mean, the uh, the big GC guys 
are doing their uh, criterion after the tour, making stuffing some money in their pockets when they can, trying to recover for the Welta. Uh, and now, you know, the Welta's moved up to August, so the the break between the tour and the Welta is not very long. It's only uh, four full weekends, so it's barely not even a month. Mm, yeah, 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 and it's and and, and, it's, and once again, as which which is becoming more often in uh, in the welters of recent years, there's a top class field, and uh, we've got Chris Froome, Nara Quintana, Vincenzo Nabali, the old man. Alejandro Valverde, he's still trucking along. He got his best ever podium finish in the tour, and then uh, Fabio Aru, and uh, I, I guess the one guy missing, Alberto Contador. What? I mean, first off, how do you think Contador's absence from the race will affect the the uh, Vuelta? To be honest, I don't think it's going to affect it that much at all. You know, the field is so deep. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is arguably a better, better field than even the tour because you guys got you got the uh, Giro guys here, like guys like Aru and uh, Landa coming in. Uh, they'll be fresh for the Vuelta. Uh, you know, Contador is a, a scrapper and a fighter, but uh, even I think at this tour this year, you know, he clearly wasn't at his uh, at his top forms. Uh, he obviously made the right decision not to come to. Uh, to the Welta, uh, but he's always, uh, you know, it's going to change the race a little bit. You know, he's such a huge draw for the public. I mean, uh, you know, Coltador is the one Spanish cyclist that kind of eclipses the, the you know, just the, the cycling punter and kind of breaks into the mainstream. Uh, that's what Spain really needs. Um, I know the organizers were really hoping that Coltador was going to race for that very reason, uh, but for them to get through and, uh, uh, Froome and Nibali and, and Valverde and Quintana, the top four of the tour, all racing the Welta. I mean, for the, for the Welta, it's the best field ever. Yeah. Actually, I've got, I've got to ask you, I mean, obviously, I guess with, uh, with Froome being the um, Tour de France champion, I mean, I guess you sort of obviously peg him up very highly. But the interesting dynamic I see in Movistar, you know, with Quintana and Valverde, um, you hear this talk that, you know, Quintana's a bit of a badass sort of leader. He's a, he's a pretty, you know, a hard guy. You know, he's a pretty firm sort of guy and not the sort of personality that we see outside of the race where he appears, appears kind of calm. Whereas a lot of the um, Movistar guys, their hearts really go for Valverde, even though their brains or their minds might say the logical thing is to ride for Quintana. Do, do you think Quintana may, you know, sort of try and help Valverde in the Vuelta, or do you think no, it's going to be the same as what we saw in the in the Tour de France? Well, that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch, really. Uh, what we were hearing, kind of whispers uh, in Spain here, is that Quintana didn't even want to go to the Vuelta, mm. and it was really uh, the sponsorship pressure that kind of prompted him to race the Vuelta. Because even back, uh, you know, when they were planning out the season this year, it was the Tour was for Nairo and the Vuelta was for Alejandro. And uh, so we'll just see how much uh, kind of uh, motivation and uh, Nairo has to really stick it in there and, and try to win. Um, I think he, I think we could see Nairo really just racing to support Valverde uh, because I think he's, I think he came out of that tour. You know, he he put everything into that tour and. and uh, he just ran out of road, really didn't he, there on the Alpdues. I mean, had that Alpdues been another three case longer, he might have won the uh, won the yellow jersey. Mm, exactly, exactly. And, and what about with Astana? You've got, uh, we said Nibali and Aru, and and also you mentioned, you know, Mikel Lander, who obviously finished the Giro very strong. Um, you know, will there be unity between those three guys in the team, or do you think, uh, you know, there'll be oppor- oppor- opportunities that will be taken conveniently by some of those guys? Yeah. 
lot of questions in this wealth for those kinds of team dynamics. Uh, you know, Astana, you know, the word is land is leaving to go to uh, Sky next year anyway. So you have to wonder how much uh, Landa is really going to want to uh, put, it, put into this wealth, uh, especially now with uh, Nibali there. Nibali will kind of, uh, I think, I think Nibali to me really is almost my favorite to win this wealth there because, uh, He's won this wealth before. His tour didn't go really as well as he's wanted. I mean, look at the other guys, Valverde, uh, Froome, uh, Quintana. They all got something really good out of the out of the tour from their own perspectives. Whereas Nibali's the guy. I mean, he got the stage win in that puncture right at the base of Alpdewes. Might have cost him a podium, uh, at least a chance to try to shake Valverde for the podium. And I think I think I think Nibali is going to be the guy who could win this thing, especially the long time trial. He's going to be super motivated to try to uh, make up for what's kind of been a disastrous season for him. And then Aru, uh, you know, we'll see how those guys all get along. I mean, I really don't know exactly the dynamic between Aru and Nibali. I know there's been a lot of chatter that Nibali's trying to get his own team and then uh, maybe leave Astana, and Aru is really the guy that the team's going to build uh, build around in the future at Astana. And yeah. Landa leaving, you know, it's going to be kind of a funky uh, dynamic there for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll just we'll just uh, see how you know the days that Vinokur over there or not. Might, that may be an indicator, like a weather forecast as to who the team is officially backing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I mean, I, I, you know that that team's kind of like uh, this opaque uh, kind of uh, <laughs> a block. You know, it's almost like that black. Uh, Black Rock in the 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> I have no idea what really is going on inside that thing. It just kind of emits these strange signals that uh, kind of freak everybody out. <laughs> yeah. Now, just coming back to, to Chris Froome, obviously, just to give him respect, he is the Tour de France champion, and you know he said he wants to come back, and he's and we've seen uh, you know how he's you know he's been doing his physiological testing, which he says he's going to put the results up you know later on. Um, do you, I mean, what's, what do you feel the motivation for Chris Room really is? Because I'm, I'm a massive believer, you know, when you achieve something like as high as the Tour de France, winning a Tour de France, how do you back up to find that inherent desire to absolutely win? And um, to do a, uh, he'll, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, he'll be, I think, only the third rider to, if he does win the Vuelta, to win the Vuelta and the Tour in the same year, although those previous years was uh, when the Vuelta was before the Tour. So he's got to find, he's got to be some desire there somewhere, but or is, do you think there's some pressure on Sky putting him out there? Yeah, I think, I think it just speaks uh, accolades about uh, Froome as a rider for him to even come to the Vuelta. Uh, you know, most guys, I think, after winning the Tour, like you mentioned, would just uh, want to unplug and, and throw the town on the season. Uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting to try to get a read on exactly what they're thinking with Froom coming to the to, to the Vuelta. Even yesterday, they, announced, they made the official announcement. There's a couple of comments from uh, Froom and, and uh, Brailsford. But nowhere do they say in that press release that they're racing the Vuelta to win. Uh, it seems like they're coming into this welcome already thinking about 2016. It's the kind of sense I'm getting. Because already, uh, even yesterday, that physiological testing they did in London, uh, they were also testing for the 2016 Olympics in Rio. They kind of uh, had mapped out the race course, the road race, and the time trial. And Firm has already said that his big goals next year are tour Olympics. So I think last year when Firm raced the welcome last year, you know, Stuck in pretty good, uh, you know. Tried to win it against Colsendor, mm. but I think he came out of that experience feeling uh, much stronger going into the into this season. 
So I think it's part of the reason why they're racing the wealthy. They figure, well, you race the wealthy, you get another Grand Tour in your legs. Maybe you can win it. Uh, maybe you don't. But the, the, the most important thing is you come out of out of the out of the wealthy. Really set up going into 2016, which will be an absolute huge season for uh, for Room and Team Sky. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point, Andy, because I, I think, you know, we can't underestimate the importance uh, of Olympic Games in this modern era of cycling. I remember back in 96 when uh, when the professionals were first allowed back into the Olympics or allowed into the Olympics, you know, a lot of people were wondering whether professionals really care about it or not and yada, yada, yada. But, uh, you know, obviously there is a, uh, a huge amount of pressure on top-line athletes to, to back up for the Olympic Games and the two events are very close to the Tour de France and also the desire of this generation of rider to, to try and get an Olympic gold medal, as we've seen with, you know, Bradley Wiggins and uh, Mark Cavendish. You know they're trying to get into the uh, British track cycling program for the Olympic Games. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think the pros have seen the value of the Olympics. Um, you know, obviously, especially when they win. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Wiggins became uh, really a superstar in the UK, not so much because he won the Tour, even because he won the Olympics in London. Um, and that that's kind of the true the case for all those guys mm-hmm. the Olympics. Um, yeah, so I, I completely agree with you there. I think the Olympics has, has become much more important, especially, I think, for maybe some of the Anglo-type countries where the Olympics have such a huge profile, you know, within, uh, you know, United States, Australia, and the U.K. Uh, I mean, the Olympics, at least in terms of the mainstream public, are, are much bigger than the Tour de France ever will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there's two little last questions I've got to uh, ask you. First up uh, for the Vuelta, with Orica Green Edge, um, you know, they obviously had a disappointing Tour de France uh, with, 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 with crashes and everything, costing them three riders. They finished with six. Um, but coming into the Vuelta, you know, they've got, uh, I guess you've got, the, you know, Gerens coming back, um, you know, from, you know, he's going to be a racing game, which will be a good um, thing for him and a good form indicator for the World Championships coming up in Richmond in, in the United States. But uh, Caleb Ewan is going to be making his uh, Grand Tour debut. They've confirmed... Uh, it, which will be interesting to see how he goes. He won't try and complete the whole welter, obviously, but just to get some experience. But uh, I'm really also interested in uh, their Colombian guy, Esteban Chavez, who, with the Yates brothers, Simon and Adam, are three guys that the team are trying to um, develop into Grand Tour contenders. And I think that Chavez would like to try and... I saw Neil Stevens, the one of their sports directors, did say they'd like to try and get him into the top ten of the welter. Do you think... Orica Greenedge uh, asking for too much by backing Chavez and Caleb Ewan in the Vuelta, or they're on the right path there? Yeah, that's, that's one of the great things about the Vuelta is it really presents an opportunity for some of these uh, younger guys to kind of get their uh, cut their teeth and get some real Grand Tour experience. I mean, I think that the Giro, uh, being the first Grand Tour of the season, everyone's always a little bit fresher and stronger, more kind of the racing seems to be a little more intense. And then the Tour, of course, the Tour. So the Vuelta, you know, especially since they slotted into September, it's really kind of uh, been a catch-all for all, all these different stories. You know, you got team of guys like Simon Garrett coming back from injury. Yeah, maybe he can save his season and, and have a good welter. Jimmy Fabio Cancellara at Trek or guys preparing for the world. Uh, so for young guys like Caleb Ewan and, and Chavez, 
so the Welta is perfect for their really their first chance to go do a Grand Tour without having too much pressure on them, without having the race be too intense. Uh, you know, even though we see the Welta gets getting harder and harder every year. But Chavez, interesting guy, I and mean, he's done a couple of Grand Tours now. I don't think he's done better than uh, 40th or 50th. Um, you know, I saw those comments from Neil Stevens as well, saying he wants to, you know, maybe get in the top 10. Uh, that's that's uh, that's that's a lot for uh, a guy who hasn't really gone that far yet in the Grand Tour. But it's a good course for uh, a Colombian, so we'll see uh, how far he can go. It's interesting that that team, you know, you've been following that team since its inception, that they haven't they started out without even having a GC uh, uh, ambitions. And now that they do have them, they've decided instead of uh, chasing a, a, a confirmed uh, GC performer, I got like Richie Port, for example, and going for these younger guys. Is that just a question of money, Roop, or is that they just want to do it their own way and go slowly? Oh, look, Andy, I, I really think they want to do it their own way. I, I think I think one, you know, obviously Richie Port's the obvious one that a lot of people have asked, Orica Greenidge. You know, why don't you get Richie Port? And, and, and you know what, at first I, I thought the same thing, and now I sort of got my head around it, it how, you know what, if they were, wanted to bring Richie Port in, they'd have to, you, you, you don't just bring Richie Port in, you've got to bring, uh, the you know, there'd be one or two key people he'd want to have with him. And then, you know, the uh, the mindset of whatever Richie, this is per se speaking in a general way, whatever that rider would want, that would have to come in into the team. I think they really want to use the advantage of having set up their own culture and, and uh, mindset, so that um, they'd rather develop within. So whoever that whoever does come through, um, you know, has been raised on that uh, on that mindset of Oracle Greenwich and 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 what they feel the the team is about, um, without having to change everything. And I can actually understand that, you yeah. know. And, and I think I think maybe I think you made an interesting point there, Andy, about uh, Neil Stevens's comments that um, you know maybe it wasn't so much about. It may not necessarily be about putting pressure on uh, Esteban Chavez to absolutely get into the top ten. It could be about the, the, the team getting its head around trying to, and, the, and, and not just the riders, but the whole organisation, getting its head around thinking we're going to work. Everything I do today has got to be about trying to get um, our rider into the best possible classification. Because one day they, went, they may get a rider that could win the Tour de France or a Grand Tour, and everybody has to be up to speed with that that, that thinking, I think. Yeah, obviously, we've seen it take the whole team effort, effort to uh, to win a Grand Tour, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and, and lastly, uh, Andy, I'm going to pull on your American heartstrings, but I know, I think this is very much valid. You know, the uh, US Pro Cycling Challenge got off, uh, you know, into a thrilling start, and uh, we saw Taylor Finney win the, the first stage into Steamboat Springs. Um, he's come back for what, 14 or 15 months or out of out of the sport. Um, he's had to come back from a really major, uh, you know, leg injury that he had to, and then the rehabilitation, and I suppose the the confidence and everything. But to see him, uh, I'm not sure if you saw that, you know, video of him winning that stage, but he just bolted away with the last what four or five hundred meters and won up with the confidence and 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 the form that just reminded us of the potential of the guy. But to be back on the winning, uh, you know, back on top. Uh, uh, he finished what third and tour of Utah, obviously, which gave an indication of his form. But to to win like that, I thought was a fabulous uh, um, end of a day of that particular day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's it's a, it's a tremendous comeback. Uh, not only for Finney, uh, you know, many people thought that uh, his career might actually be over because that injury was uh, a heavy one, you know, because he, he he basically cut 
cut the uh, ligaments and tendons uh, in his knee. So obviously, as a cyclist, uh, that's a that's almost a devastating injury. So for him to come back at a personal level, even to race, uh, people were excited about that. Uh, but for him to win is absolutely massive. I think it's he definitely surpassed expectations. And a larger kind of question of uh, how important Finney is to American cycling. I mean, this guy. And I know you've talked to him before. He's such a great character, great personality, great ambassador for the sport. So good uh, with the public, so good with the media. And, you know, America, you know, we're you know, cycling is down on its knees there after the whole, our, our Texan friend, you know, brought down the whole house. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Finney is really a, a kind of a guy who can kind of, uh, uh, kind of reach out to some of those uh, disenchanted cycling fans. Um, who kind of got on the Lance Armstrong bandwagon and really feel uh, kind of burned and uh, cheated by all that stuff that went down, kind of turned off to the sport. And the sport's changed a lot, as we all know. Uh, but I think a lot of people just can't see that, uh, and especially in the United States, where there's a lot of uh, really disenfranchised uh, mainstream uh, fans. A guy like Finney, you know, if you get him back, if you can get back and really compete next year in the Olympics, you know, chasing a, a, a medal maybe in the time trial or even the road race, now that would just be huge for American cycling because we have some guys, a lot of young guys coming up, guys like uh, Kalansky and uh, Van Garderen. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Finney just has that natural charisma that people just like. They just like Taylor Finney. He's a great guy, a great bike rider. So for just the American, uh, the whole overall health, vitality of American cycling, uh, Finney is huge that he's come back as uh, come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's really interesting that here I am in Sydney talking to you in Leon in, in Spain, and uh, we're talking about, you know, Taylor Finney winning a, a race in, you know, Steamboat Springs in the United States, and it just sort of shows how, you know, such a good story has gone around the world, you know, within within 24 hours, and I think it's 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 great for the sport that uh, we've got stories like that. And he's not the only story, but it's just uh, it reminds us how cycling is a, is a is a big world, but it's also a small world. And and thankfully now we can all get a chance to sort of uh, express our views and and uh, enjoy the sport, the good and the bad side, obviously. But it's uh, that's that's a great example, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the sport is so international these days, isn't it? I mean, we have uh, Quintana almost winning the tour, the first South American winner. You know, the sport's huge in Australia every year. I've been lucky enough to go to the tour down in the last couple of years. Just amazing to see how big the sport's grown there. And, uh, you know, with Africa, with MTN, Quebec coming up, you know, the first uh, African team. You know, it's not going to be, I think, a matter of time before you get these East Africans uh, racing bikes and basically kicking everyone's ass. <laughs> yeah, so you never know, Andy. Soon I'll be seeing you in uh, in Cape Town somewhere, or in Blomfontein, that may be up in uh, the Transvaal of South Africa. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. That would be good. Yeah, I've been there before. I've been there. Yeah, I've been there for rugby, mate. You can have a good time anywhere in Africa. Anyway, that's we'll save that for another day, another glass of rosé. And uh, I did tell you this is going to take ten minutes, and we've spoken twenty minutes. So it just goes to show how much. Uh, Interesting stuff there is to talk about uh, in cycling. And uh, Andy Hood, I wish you all the very best during the Vuelta. Looking forward to your coverage on uh, velonews.com, as usual. And also, uh, I gather you're going to go to Richmond for the World Championships. Um, Look forward to your coverage there, too. Velonews.com, we can get all the coverage there. And in the meantime, maybe we can put a call in to you to keep us up to speed on what a ride with what's doing, or maybe what's not doing. Anytime, just to, you know, make sure it's before uh, tapas time. You know, we hit the tapas bar in Spain around uh, 
after the stage, around nine or ten o'clock, in with some Riojas, you know, I might not be really uh, in uh, able to. Uh, very well that <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure between tapas time and rosé time we'll find a window Andy thanks very much and all the very best alright talk to you soon Tip. welcome back to what a ride you're just listening to Andy Hood from Bello News the European correspondent of Bello News uh, was just talking about the Vuelta Espana the third of three Grand Tours of the year I'm Rupert Guinness and with me is my special guest for this week uh, Matilda Reynolds Hey, Tilly, we were just talking to uh, Andy about who's going to win the Vuelta, who he thinks will win the Vuelta or not. Uh, I've got to put you under the pressure earlier. You're not going to get away mm. without me being able to put you under the pump. I want you, you, with your expertise, to tell me who do you think is going to win the 70.3 World Championships? Well, this is coming off no expertise. Just so we put it out oh there. No. Don't put any money no. on it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, to think... Um, look, what's, what is really exciting is that um, Australia is... is will be well represented, um, particularly in the men. Um, but, look, you can't go past just the, um, the, the last year's previous champions, uh, which were both um, Gomez and um, Daniela Riff, I'm, I'm pretty sure, won last year. And I think they'll be going in with number one on, on, um, on their bib again. Um, but certainly, um, Jan Fernando, look, he's in red-hot form. He absolutely smashed it out of the park in Frankfurt. Sebastian Kinlay, he's a really smart racer. Um, and this type of course that, that is that, um, you'll be able to get away. And I know there's really smart... If you're a smart rider, it'll all come down to the bike in terms of trying to, trying to break up that group. Um, Tim Reid, very, very smart athlete. Sam Afton's having a great year as well, both Aussie guys. Um, so it's a, it's a fairly quick course, but very, very hilly. There's a... There's a really, really steep um, hills on the back end of it, so you just won't want to, you know, blow your socket too too early um, on the start of the bike, and you'll be left left on your own at the end. Um, but certainly in the women, I can't go past Daniela Riff and um, Jody Swallow. Will always have a great day out. She's just su- such a workhorse, and you know, we'll, she'll go the well pretty deep, even with world champs coming up a few weeks after. So yeah, so so I'm put out Gomez, Fernando. Uh, look, maybe. Who knows on third? Maybe Tim Reed, um, and then on the women, down the roof, uh, Swallow. I think will have a good day out. Um, and look, it'd be good to see someone like Alicia K- um, Key or Heather Wordle um, come up and fill that podium. That's a pretty. Yeah, you know, that sounds like a confident sort of tip. From yeah, you, I think. Don't uh, come back to me if you put money no, on it. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you've heard from Tilly Reynolds, her expert tips. <laughs> yeah, if you don't hear her again on the show, you know she's ran off because she hasn't got the tips right. Uh, hey, Tilly, look, I, I know that uh, you know it's not just triathlon that's that's something that you're driven by. You know, uh, there's Batir, the organisation that works with mental health issues. Um, I know you've, you've you've spoken to me you know several times about about this. I know you're going to a Batir ball tonight. That's I understand. Right. Um, yep. Is it a party for you? Or what yeah, it's going to take about six hours to <laughs> make me look like <laughs> I need, I'm going to a ball. But yeah, yeah, so that's on tonight. So yeah, no, thanks, Rube. So I work, um, well, I've previously worked and, and now volunteer for an organisation called Batir. And um, it's a for-purpose organisation. And what they do is they work um, with mental health and youth. And essentially we, we run school and university programs where we utilise trained speakers who have gone through a mental health um, who have had mental ill health and come sort of come through the other side and we utilise them as a part of a program to share their story. And essentially what we're trying to do is just to show 
um, you know, young people that it is okay and to seek help and to talk about it. Um, suicide is the biggest killer of people um, my age. Um, I think you're just out of the bracket route, but uh, <laughs> certainly um, for 45, um, the age 45 and under, um, it's it's the biggest cause of death, and it's you know it's it's something that's by choice, and that it's just the figures are horrific, um, and so yeah, we look, it's real, you know, what we're trying to do is just to try and I guess uneducate people around what they think mental health is, and it's not this big dark scary thing you're not allowed to talk about. It's something that you should be openly communicating about and just putting your hand up and saying, look, I'm, I am struggling and, and whether that be in school or in your family and just starting to seek help because there are a lot of um, Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Black Dog Institute, there's mm -hmm. Headspace, there's some incredible organisations who can, you know, see you through to the other side. So whether that's your school counsellor or seeing someone else with your family, um, yeah, we just try and encourage people to seek help and, and um, through education and showing through these speakers that, you know, they now live a very fulfilling, um, happy life, um, which they may not have if they hadn't seeked that help in the first place. It's interesting, obviously, uh, you know, mental health is, is something that, that permeates, uh, well, mental health issues is something that permeates throughout all of society, but, um, you know, uh, you know, sport has been used as a, as a platform to, to help create awareness, because I guess there's, there's this perception um, you know, elite athletes, are, they're, they're, they're supposed to show their strength, they're supposed to not show weaknesses, um, they're supposed to be, you know, unflappable, uh, be able to handle pressure, but uh, obviously it's an issue that does affect sports uh, athletes, whether they're elite or, or uh, the weekend warriors, but um, um, how, do you, how do you use, use sport as a platform and, and also try to make, without them sort of, uh, I guess they have to support cause as mm. well, don't they? Have to be feel comfortable to come out and talk. Yeah, we're, we're really fortunate to have a number of ambassadors, both, um, yeah, particularly in rugby, um, and we'll to have more, um, Paddy Ryan with the Waratahs, and um, look, we, we utilise sport because those, the people within sport have such a huge profile, and, um, you know, if young people can see their heroes come out and say, yeah, look, it's, it is okay to talk, and that mental health isn't this, I had it, and it's not this big scary thing, um, that you know you shouldn't talk about, um, but I certainly think um, look, mental health in sport is something that absolutely needs to be addressed. Um, I know there are bigger organisations that have a lot of player welfare, and triathlon and maybe cycling isn't one that has all the budget to be able to provide that type of support for um, athletes. But it, I, I can only fathom how horrifically hard it is when you put all your eggs in one basket, whether it be the Olympic Games or a certain race or trying to make a certain team and something happens, whether it be injury or you just simply just weren't good enough to make that team. And um, it's really hard, I think, as an elite athlete and professional athlete that um, you really define yourself by your achievements. And so if you're not going well, then you just sometimes feel like a shitty person, like, you know, mm -hmm. a bad person. And, and it's really important to be able to separate yourself from the sport that you're doing and, and the person that you are. You, you know, we've seen so many people, uh, elite athletes, um, do very well in their sport, retire, and then just not know what to do with themselves, mm -hmm. and they try and make these comebacks that usually don't work. Um, and I think that's just where they need more support. And, you know, you just need a bit more, you know, you're more than the athlete that, that you are, um, you know. So, yeah, I think it's really just the biggest thing is communication, you know, seek help. Um, we, um, if anyone wants to know more about Batir, just go to batir.com.au, mm -hmm. B-A-T-Y-R, and, um, you know, 
interested in any of the programs that we run there, but I think as a whole, it's just really important for people to talk. And so whether that be your coach, um, your parents, your friends, um, you know, talking is the heroic thing to be doing. It's not a weakness. It's mm -hmm. it's it's not an embarrassment. Um, and I think it's really prevalent in sport. Yeah, because I mean, you can imagine, particularly with with young people um, as they grow up, there could be inherent fears that if they speak to their coach about an issue that it could compromise their selection and things like that. But that's where I think it's important for sports federations as well to really have the right system in place where um, the well-being of the athlete is not just about their physical well-being and whether they're tracking well physically and not, and even I say mentally for competition, Not you know, there's a difference between being right mentally for competition and you're not necessarily right um, deep down personally, are you? Mm. You could be carrying uh, an issue which uh, you don't know how to get it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, sport is just bloody hard and, and, and you know, a lot of um, people do get paid a lot to do it um, and, and sometimes there's a reason for that and that, that can be justified. But um, for those who aren't sort of making the cut, um, either, either through injury or, you know, they can be out for years. Um, which can be really hard and so again if anything just you know have a chat make sure um, you know particularly in triathlon because there's so so much training and um, sometimes a lot of that's covered up by by training so if you feel like you're doing you know you're just hating life if you skip a session or you don't you know the world is ending because you didn't get your pb in that one you know race or or, or you know small training session i think just you know, have a look at the bigger picture. Have a look at the bigger picture. Um, you know, it is okay. There's there's worse things going on in the world, um, and just keep a little bit of perspective. Um, but if you know if, if that is going on, then it may be worthwhile having a chat to someone, or maybe just taking taking some time off. Well, thanks, Tilly, for those words and that insight. And, that, and the website address again? It's bati.com.au. B-A-T-Y-R.com. Yeah, you've got it. You've heard it. <laughs> We're talking with Matilda Reynolds on What a Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness, and uh, I think it's about time, Tilly, we should try and uh, track in with um, Aaron Lee over in the United States again. Sounds good. He yeah. should be a few few uh, sarkies down by now. <laughs> Let's give him a try anyway. Let's test him out. And I'm here with David Mayo for the Pensacola Cycling Classic. David, talk to me a little bit about the, the, the race and just how it came about. Well, about um, seven years ago, uh, I got into racing, and actually before then, but really big time, and wanted to see Pensacola host a uh, our own, you know, cycling event. And I knew with a strong cycling community, we could should be able to pull it off, and we did. Our first year, uh, goodness, six years ago, was a success out of the out of the bat. We had over two hundred, um, you know, entries in our first year because of strong prize money, uh, you know, warm, good southern hospitality, great venues with our stages. You know, we had an awesome time trial on Pensacola Beach, you know, the world's widest beaches on your, is on your right as you're going down the beach, uh, road race out in the uh, Blackwater State Forest area uh, in the nearby county, uh, and then the, a great uh, criterium course in downtown historic Pensacola. And so, and also, it, it was a true stage race, time-based. Um, and so we, we wanted to just, uh, so it was, it was just, um, so, you know, there's omniums all over the, all over the, uh, you know, as, as a typical format race, but as a true time-based race, we were unique. And that was also a big appeal. So having a great uh, time-based 
multi-stage, three-stage, big prize money, great venues. It was a success out of the gate. Now, it would be three, three days, or three, or two days, three stages. Absolutely. You mentioned Criterium, individual time trial, road race. It's, now, how yes. much, tell me a little bit about these routes and, and where they go and, and, and the distances on these and who can enter. Yeah, it's categories from, from, uh, from category five all the way to one. So, um, you know, we can all enter. So it's, um, you know, hand cycles as well. So Which just, you have a little bit of experience yes. about. Tell me a little bit. Back yeah. in May at the Nationals yeah. in Chattanooga, you finished third in your division. Yeah, I got a, in the, on the podium in the National Championships and uh, USA Cycling Championships in Chattanooga. So very, very happy about that. So, yeah, uh, I'll be competing for sure. Uh, in the hand cycle division, you better believe it. So now on the criterion, what are we looking at distance wise? It's a point eight mile, yep. uh, six turn. So you've got a nice little S turn in there. So it's not just a regular rectangle, and so it makes it really popular, very popular. And that's held in the historic downtown of Pensacola. Downtown Pensacola, yeah, behind the oldest city in America, wow. Pensacola. I thought St. Augustine was uh, the oldest. No, city. they try to take that, but we're the oldest uh, settlement. We yeah. weren't the continuous. City, but we we were founded 1559, good 80 years before them. And for the time trial, what are we looking at course wise? Three miles, so it's a short, high sprint time trial because. So we're looking about 4.8 kilometers in. Uh, yeah, 5k. Yeah, 5K. yeah, right at 5k. Um, and so, uh, so you can't have a long time trial if you only have three stages because you don't have a lot of stages to make up the time. So we keep it, you know, the time short. Uh, so to speak, so you can make it up on the road race and, you know, if you're lucky, on the crit. Now, the road race, the elite division, will be a 160-kilometer, 100-mile race, correct? Yeah, uh, well, 75 miles. 75, okay. So, uh, so yeah, and then... Um, and how much of that route will go over uh, the Pensacola Beach and the island? No, that's going to be north in okay. the country. We're getting in the hills. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can imagine so, the so beaches. So no flat, no flat no beaches, flat. no nothing. Okay. So we've got a couple good hills in the road race to really spice up the attacks. So there are some hills in the Panhandle. Yeah, yeah believe it or not we have a little bit of uh, elevation out there yeah it's, it's kind of now it's not you know it's not the rockies or the appalachians but you know it's it's a fair amount of hills that'll that'll, that'll mix it up you mentioned this is the seventh year of the race uh, six, sixth, sixth annual year, sixth annual yeah, yeah. do uh, is this one of those uh, what's the how do you envisage this moving forward what would you like to take it um you know i think to more um get more of the elite teams in you know, that's some place where we can grow. I think with as we increase in our price purse, we can get the uh, United Healthcare's, you know, the Jelly Bellies, you know, some of their development teams in. Um, you know, we already have a good, strong. You know, uh, we already have a team bonus, for example, twenty five hundred dollar team bonus that's attracting a lot of the top amateur teams, and we'll have probably six teams going after the team bonus this year. As a matter okay, of fact, so we're already. You know, moving that direction to get it to even a more elite, prestigious event. Now, David, I was just in New Orleans last week, and I talked to some of the guys about the local bike scene there. Not a huge road scene or triathlon yeah. scene in New Orleans, yeah. but here with the beaches and the 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 outdoor lifestyle, and of course that Santa Rosa Island, which I think is about forty miles, sixty k long, which yeah. is perfect for time trialing on, on a time trial bike. Uh, maybe some crosswinds, however. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the cycling scene here. What is it like in Pensacola? Because I can't imagine anyone jumping off the beach and getting on a bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the beaches are yeah. phenomenal. 
Yeah. Why yeah. would you ever well, leave? Well, I mean, well, you can cycle to and from the beach, yeah, yeah. you know, but uh, um, that is a very popular place to ride. But, yeah, you know, our West Florida Wheelman, the the, uh, the bike club in, in the area, you know, is just a huge promoter of, you know, of cycling group, group cycling. We have, you know, multiple options for all abilities of, you know, uh, you know levels of cycling. So, you know, entry level, beginners. Um, you know, here in town, also out there where the road race takes place. So there, there's just a, a huge variety of an appeal for cycling off the beach. For those people who want to, is it still time to sign up and, oh, and absolutely. race the event? Yeah. For those who want to, uh, where can they find you guys? Yeah, the best place to go is PensacolaCyclingClassic.com. It's got all the info there, all the event flyers, the registration info, the hotels. Um, the purse, everything, PensacolaCyclingClassic.com. And are we expecting good weather? I know we're still about two weeks out. Are we expecting yeah. good weather? No yeah, hurricanes? No hurricanes. No. Man, we're on a, <laughs> we're on a 10-year uh, hurricane hiatus, so we're, we're not expecting any hurricane. Yeah. Thank you. David, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Love to have the Aussies represented. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Okay. Welcome back to Water Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness. Uh, next to me is Matilda Reynolds. And uh, we were just listening to that interview uh, from Aaron uh, over in, uh, in Florida with the organisers of the uh, uh, Pensacola Cycling Stage Race. Um, that's an interesting interview. Yeah, look, as, as I said before, I think I, I didn't know about necessarily that race or those, you know, the people involved. But, um, you know, you just got to share those stories and create content about those types of races, as I said, with triathlon. Um, and the people will come. They'll they'll get interested, and the more you can engage fans, the more they'll you know want to be engaged. Yeah, it's the foundation of any sport to have events, and uh, it's not always just the the major events like the Tour de France or the Hawaii Ironman or World Triathlon Championships. It's often the, uh, the, the, the 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 events that come underneath in the different tiers, and that's what brings young stars coming up, and it also gives the uh, the big stars a chance to showcase themselves before their fans and and everybody back at their home country. Um, hey Tilly, this has been a great uh, you know, hour or so chatting with you. Thanks Drew. Sorry for being late. <laughs> That's alright. Um, Sorry for not having a shower. Now you're going to the big ball tonight. You're going to get all doled up. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I've got about another six hours. I need every minute of it. Yeah, so <laughs> this is the Batir bat ball. Batir ball, bat yeah. ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sold out, so it should be a good sold night. Sold out. How so many people? Yeah, so we've got 550 coming tonight and yeah, um, yeah I'll be in heels and no lycra, so yeah, it should uh, um, see how see how I go on the dance floor. Oh, it's too, too late yeah. for me to get a ticket then. No, no, it's sold out in two minutes. So yeah, it was a popular night, but yeah, it should mm. be a really good night just to um, I guess generate and promote the awareness a bit here and just what they're doing in the mental health space and just to celebrate that as well. No, well, you deserve to give yourself uh, all of you, you know, a good pat on the back because it's. Uh, you know, I think this year particularly a lot of people have uh, become more aware about mental health issues and uh, the more we talk about it, Absolutely, just uh, yeah, smash the stigma around it. But um, yeah, I've got a nice, easy two-hour run tomorrow, mm. Rup, so you, oh. name, you name the place and time and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll meet you that's there. That's a two-hour run after a night in high heels. Yeah, that's how we roll. You could, you could pull you, a muscle, you, you the, could do the something. The rule is when going out, you can go out for as late as you want, but you've got to back it up with the session the next day. Okay, okay, all right. Well, look, I can do half of that just going out. It's backing up that I have trouble. <laughs> Listen, Tilly, look, thanks very much for being on What A Ride for this episode. We wish you all the very best for uh, the rest of the season in triathlon and, and with your work. Keep smiling. You always do. 
Uh, if you go past me, give me a wheel, will you please? I need a toe these days. Thanks, Rube. No, you must see me on my good days. <laughs> my training mates wouldn't say I'm always smiling, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been good. Even if they're your bad out. days, you're going past anyway. It's <laughs> better than me. Thanks very much, Tilly. Thanks, mate. And to to all of you out there, what a ride. Thanks for listening. And uh, as always, stay safe out there with whatever you're doing, whether you're swimming, riding or running or anything else. Thanks, guys. See you now.